Jesus today. Isn't it special to be in church? Amen. You may be seated. Isn't it great to feel his presence in the in the end of the year to know like, man, my God is with me. My God is here. And he's never far away from his people. He is always near. Open up your Bibles with me to Isaiah chapter 43. We're going to end out the year with a word from Isaiah. Some of you know that I was going to talk about it last week during Christmas time. I was going to go into that famous passage where it's like to us a son is uh, born, to us a child is given. But I felt the Lord have me switch it up and go into Mary's song. So if anybody noticed, like, hey, man, why don't we talk about Isaiah? That's why I always try to put a tagline in what I'm doing. I always say, you know, uh, Lord willing, you know, if the Lord should say the same as the old timers used to say, because, you know, we never know. And in life, we never know. Of course, we make our plans, we make our commitments, but we always have to be open to the Spirit. And as a pastor, I get to change it up. That's the fun part of my job. And the Lord gets to change it up on me last minute. And sometimes that's the tough part of my job. That's why I study myself full during the week and I preach myself empty every time I come here. So I always come with more than enough to share, more than enough bread coming out the oven. That's why even people who do administrative work with me after Sundays and they're talking with me in the back, I'm still preaching. It hasn't ended. Where's Lauren? Am I telling the truth? It hasn't ended. Like literally, like I'm going on to the next point, to the next point. And then I'm just like, oh, you don't want to hear anymore. Do you? And then they'll be like, no, it's okay. Tell me more. And then I'll just keep going. And I'll be like, you don't want any more. And then, you know, we get to that little thing, but you know, it's my insecurity there because I study so much for you guys. And this passage in Isaiah, I mean, so many passages in Isaiah. I don't know where to go, honestly, with this sermon series. Do I continue it after the new year? Let me say this. Next week will be one of our awesome times. If you guys are new to the church, every first Sunday of the year, we go through all the finances. We talk about all the growth of the church and everything the Lord has done. So make sure you're here. It's going to be awesome. And then I'm going to preach on the vision of the church, connect, mentor, send, the strategy, you know, loving God, loving people, all of that. But after that, I don't know, man. Should I go back into you know, thus says the Lord, I got time to pray. But how many of you have enjoyed the series and just been deep in the prophets? Well, if I went back into it, man, I mean, Isaiah has so much to offer. There are so many powerful, powerful passages to just dig down deep into. And uh, we'll go to Isaiah 53 here in just a little bit, uh, just a minute. But let me tell you about uh, Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet during the time of the Assyrian captivity. So they were already messing with the Israelites, but it was going to get a lot worse for them. So he's kind of preparing them for what's going to happen. And not only that, but Babylon is then going to come and invade the last two tribes. So if you remember from our word in the prophet series, we're learning about the seasons here of the prophets. They're prophesying during the divided kingdom of Israel. There were 12 tribes in Israel, and then they got divided after uh, King Solomon died. His two kids broke off. The brothers, they fought against each other, and they started their own little kingdoms. One had 10, and another one had two. Well, Assyria took over the 10 first and started messing with them, and it got a lot worse as time went on. And then eventually Babylon came and then took over the two. Why do I say that? Because when you look at the prophets, both major and minor, and remember major doesn't mean like major leagues and minor, minor leagues, like they're not important. Major portion, 
prophet minor portion, okay? When you go to those prophets, they're all talking about what's going on with God's judgment because it's a pretty big deal. How many know right if right now uh, we were being attacked by China and your children would be taken as slaves? How many know every time we came to church, we'd probably talk about it? We'd probably mention what's going on in the big picture of our world. And that's what was going on. They were being captured and taken as slaves for 100 plus years, if not two, 200 plus years. And, and, and I, Assyria and Babylon were humongous world powers, and they were just stomping on this little nation, Israel, having no mercy on them. I mean, it got so bad at one point that they built a, a siege around Jerusalem where no food could come in and out. They couldn't get to their farmlands. They were all just tucked away behind their walls. It, it says that the women got so desperate they ate their young. Okay, that's how bad it was. Okay, so when we're reading uh, prophets like Isaiah, we should check into the tone here. The tone is, it's a scary time. There's a lot of uncertainty, and then there's also God's judgment. So there's things going on that they're trying to discern, you know, like, is this God punishing us because we've done this, or is this because these people are crazy and they just want to hurt us and we need to fight back? So the kings are always going to the prophet going, do I fight Assyria and God's got my back, or do I repent because Assyria is coming to punish us because we're not following God's word? Do you guys get what I'm saying there? Now, now just look at 2000. 2018 and the year that just passed and just ask yourself a question. Have you seen yourself in turmoil this year and have you seen the nation in turmoil? Do you feel like you're Isaiah at times trying to figure out, man, is, is, is Trump God's punishment to us or is he helping us? Is this new governor God's punishment? Is this what we get for being so liberal-minded that now uh, they want to have abortion in Illinois, even extending the limit so that all the Midwest can come to Chicago and Illinois and get their abortions? You know, is, is, is that what's going on? Or are, are we supposed to call out to God for revival? Is this supposed to wake us up and, and say it's not supposed to be this way on the streets and we're supposed to go to the urban areas and to the businesses, or is it a little bit of everything? I mean, when you look at the story of God being woven through the prophets, it is being woven with a, a scalpel's knife between what is good and evil this whole entire time, and you've got to stay true to what God is saying because you can just easily get cut into that wrong direction. Like right now, the scalpel's knife is going through our sexuality, and, and it's testing your love for people. How many here love people? Just you love everybody. Let's be honest. You're a Christian and you love everybody. Can I hear an amen? Okay, so your, your first intention as a Christian is to always support people. If, if your coworker came to you and said, hey, man, I'm getting married, you're going to support them. Hey, I'm happy for you. I'm, I can't wait to be at the wedding, right? If your coworker came to you and said, man, I'm getting a promotion or I'm starting a side business, I'm going to start selling Plexus to get my Lexus, you would support them. You would be happy, right? You, you would be excited for these kinds of things. But when your friend comes to you and says, this is my same-sex partner, you know, Bob comes to you and says, hello, meet my partner, Mike. Doesn't that test your love for people? Because you're like, man, I want to love you. I want to, I do love you and I want to support you and I do support you, but 
I can't support that, and I don't know how to do this the right way. Like, I want to tell you the truth about this, but I don't want to be mean, and I don't want to cut you out of my life. So, you know, you need to ask the Lord at that time to bring out that exacto blade, if anybody remembers an exacto blade, because all of us, I think, probably took crafts class. Around sixth grade, they started tr trusting us with knives, right? So if you remember having the exacto blade, because we've probably never held a scalpel and been in an emergency room, and me included, but we've all held an exacto blade, right? And it's just like, okay, how do we cut right through this? Okay, let's make the dividing line the word of God. And that's not what the Bible say it is. It's a double-edged sword. It is a sharp sword. And it is so sharp and precise that the Bible says it can separate the bone from the marrow. Bone from the marrow. You guys know how close that is, right? And it can separate the flesh from the muscle, okay? And so what it's, what it's telling us in a situation, just take, for example, like sexuality, and, and you can reduce it down to a little truism. I mean, sometimes these are cliche, but it is true. I love the sinner. I hate the sin. Go right down the middle with it. Do you get it? I love you, I support you, I want the best for you, I believe in you, I want God to have his way in your life, I want to be there for you, but I cannot support this sin. That's the dividing line. There it is. Boom. There it is. Now, why did I say all that before we get into this? Isaiah, in chapter 43, is going to bless us with a heavenly revy, a good nuggie of heaven, okay? This is a good golden nugget from heaven. But it's coming with a lot of rebuke and a lot of conflict and a lot of things going on. And God is actually saying, I'm in the midst of a lot of that. I'm, I'm actually punishing you willingly, but I want you to learn in the midst of the punishment. I want you to learn what you've done wrong. And, and I got to tell you guys this. I got to preach your Steve here because he loves to preach. Because before I tell you, God's going to do a new thing. And if you believe it, shout amen. It's going to be better in 2000. You know, before I go there, and we may go there today because I'm excited. But before we go to God's doing a new thing, that means you got to get rid of your old thing. That means you've got to stop looking for the same thing and the old thing. You've got to stop going to the wrong relationships and then asking God to bless your mess. Oh, God, I'm in this relationship, and they're kind of a Christian, so God, just bless them. Make them a real Christian. No, the best thing you can do for them is break up with them and say, I won't be a distraction to you serving Jesus. My wife got saved, you know, at that time, a single young girl. She got saved at a youth convention and got home and broke up with her boyfriend. That was one of the first things that she did. And then when he didn't want Jesus, that was good enough sign for her. You're not the man for me. So the, the ideal we're going to learn from Isaiah chapter 43, beautiful, beautiful chapter, is that God is in control. And he is weaving his truth or the narrative of his story in the midst of what we see as a mess and as confusion and as we get pulled in all kinds of directions. He's weaving his truth through this and he's asking us to trust him. And then here's, let me just get to the, let me get right now to the crescendo, the great grand finale. It's going to be better than we ever thought and it's going to be a new thing. It's not going to look like what we thought. It's going to be better than what we thought. Isaiah chapter 43, if you're ready, somebody say, I'm ready. 
He starts off, Isaiah 43, verse 1. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Woo, is that good or what, man? Come on. I know it's exciting God's with us, but did you get where he's with us at? (laughs) He's with you in the fire. So you're not getting out of this. You're not getting out of this political climate. You're not getting out of this sexual revolution that the world is having. You're not getting out of this diverse religious experience that's being pushed on you from all the different religions trying to make a buffet of spirituality. You're not getting out of persecution. You're not getting out of the violence of the West Side or wherever you're at. You're not getting out of the corruption of your job downtown. You're not getting out of it. But you're going to go through it. And God says, whatever it is, and he uses examples, just go through what those examples are. Whatever they are, they will not harm you. He says, you'll go through waters, waters won't harm you. You'll go through the rivers, the rivers won't sweep you with their current. You'll go through the fire, and you will not be burned. You all ready for this? This is what 2019 is going to look like. So some of you are catastrophizing already. You're like, man, it, it, you know, this last couple of months, it's been terrible. Is that what January is going to be like? It would just be my luck to start to end the year bad and to start a year bad. How many ever hear people catastrophize like that? And then they always put it into perspective, like the whole world is just revolving around them. And then my favorite singer died this year. And then my car got a flat tire. And then my mom said that she's moving now. And it's all just going downhill. See, we, we can see, as the old timers would say, you can see that glass half empty and talk about all the problems and literally pick them out of your life and then dump them all into one mindset and then be crushed by it. Or you can just simply prepare yourself right now. I will go through fire this year, but I will not be burned. I will go through waters of river rushing tide, but they're not sweeping my feet out and taking me downstream. I'm going with God and his flow upstream. I will go through deep waters, but I will not drown. I may look around, and I may not see any hope other than Jesus, but I know my Jesus is the anchor of my soul. That's what I see right there at the beginning of Isaiah chapter 43, is God is saying, you guys are going through fires. You're going to go through deep waters. You're going to go through. So stop stop acting like when bad things happen, you deserve better. You don't deserve anything. We can work harder and pray more. We can do all of that to set ourselves up for the best possible scenario we can. But you don't control the genes in your body. You don't know if you're getting a cancer report this year. Do you think our dear sister Iris, who finally uh, just went back to work after her chemo working, let's give it up for Iris, by the way. God bless you. We celebrate with you going back to work. See, some people don't want to work. She couldn't wait to get back to work because that was a symbol of recovery for her. And, you know, do you think she did anything to deserve that? Of course not. But 2018 brought her some fire. And she was in the midst of it, but she was not burned. 
She was in the midst of raging waters, but she was not swept away. And I listen, I love you, and I know you love me, and we all want the best for each other here. But we can't come into a building on 5405 West Diversity and now think we're in some bubble, and now I'm just going to tell you make-believe stuff. I don't, be, I don't know if you're going to get a cancer a diagnosis this year. You might be the next one our church has to walk through. Do, do, you, have, do you have any way of knowing We've, we did funerals in 2018. I don't know if I'm at your funeral in 2019. So that's what God is saying to us right here. Is he's saying, don't try to put yourself in the mindset that life is good when there's no rivers pushing me. Life is good when there's no fires trying to burn me. Life is good when there's no depth trying to make me sink. That's not how you're supposed to look at life because then you'll always see the next catastrophe, the next issue, and you'll just say, oh, man, look at all this stuff going on. And that's why they say when, when people were in POW camps and they were being tortured, the ones that would survive in the Holocaust and these things were the ones that didn't come there saying, well, you know, we're, we're going to just make this real easy and everything's going to be light and fluffy. Those people died of despair. It was the ones who just looked at the situation and were honest and said, we don't know when we're getting out. We don't know even if we're getting out. But every day, let's just set our hope to get out and we'll do what needs to be done in front of us. It's the false uh, hope that brings that disappointment when you don't get it. We always overestimate what we can do in a year and underestimate what God can do in five years. Why does it have to be in 2019? Why, why does it have to be now? Maybe the plan God has for you and me is going to come 10 years from now, but we're planting the seeds now in 2019. And so if we don't get discouraged at our business not maybe having its best year in 2019, and if we don't get discouraged over trying to have children and, and not conceiving, or if we don't get discouraged over people leaving instead of coming to our life groups and to our businesses... If we can just hold on, maybe there's something past that. And there's something that we get through that that God wants us to have. What, what was Israel getting as they were going through fire, as they were going through trials, as they were going through the rivers? What were they getting? The Bible says in Peter, they were getting their faith strengthened. Now, I know most of us don't want to pray for our faith to be strengthened because that's a scary prayer, isn't it? God, increase my faith. Okay, here's a bunch of problems. Deal with it. That's how we think God is messing with us, but he's not. What God is doing is he's teaching us like Peter on the water because I think that's a great example of faith, and that's deep water there, so that would fit into this, is he's teaching us, if you can see that I'm with you, that's all you ever need. And sometimes you just need to be in a place where you realize God is all that you ever need. Amen? Let's go back to verse 3 now. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave, excuse me, I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead. Since you are precious and honored in my sight and because I love you. Somebody say, Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Amen. Now let's have all the congregation say it. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. You know how much God loves you? He's going to make a trade for you with sinners on Judgment Day. He's going to kick them out and give you their land. 
When I preach like this, people think I'm crazy and apocalyptic and, you know, I belong on some uh, vice special, you know, where they need to do a vice documentary on me or one of those, uh, you know, uh, Facebook uh, kind of things. But look at it. It says, you are precious. You are honored in my sight. And because I love you, I'm going to give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. God favors those who favor him. And God wants to favor the whole world and God wants to save everybody. But if everybody doesn't want to be saved, he's not stopping their plan. If, if China doesn't ever want to get saved, China will belong to us in the end. If America does not want to get saved and do the right thing, when the kingdom comes, it will belong to the children of God. God does have favorites, and it's those who favor his cause. Though he loves us all the same, he does not bless us all the same. He does not give us the same portion of favor. Favor is found with those who are obedient. It's not that we're trying to earn his favor. It's just what he set up by his grace. It's still by grace. Don't ever think, I'm earning earning this exchange of blessings that God is giving to us. No, I'm not earning it. I'm just participating in it. And maybe you're even a Christian and saying, eh, I don't believe it so much. I'm more about kingdom now instead of kingdom coming. Well, then you're going to lose those rewards. But those of us who see 2019 as a sense of kingdom coming and do all things unto Christ and can't wait to get a bonus because you've been wanting to support those missionaries and you can't wait to adopt and you can't wait to bring in children like Sue Ellen's bringing in a foster child this week. Let's give it up for the for walkers for a home run, bringing in foster children. Amen. See, when you, when you look at kingdom coming, you're not looking at your kingdom now, and you're always being obedient to God. And then guess what? God says, I bless that. I get behind that. And then he says, I'll actually exchange stuff over, over for you. I'll give it over to you because I want to bless you. I'm believing God that Chicago is going to be handed over to us. How many believe that? How many believe he's going to give us this city? I believe it. Not, not for us to lord it over them. Not even for us to have a church-state government, but for the church to be doing its job so well that politicians can't get away with anything and corrupt businesses can't get away with anything. Just imagine that. There's a time back in the days of the Reformation, and John Knox was praying over Scotland, and the queen at that time, was her name Queen Mary? Queen Mary said, I was more afraid of John Knox and his prayers and what he was doing in the nation than all the armies of what, England? You see, this nation can be brought to its knees by the power of God. This city can be brought to its knees by the power of God. Football uh, being tossed around and football games aren't the only thing that can fill stadiums in this city. We can see God's people fill stadiums in this city. Amen? Okay, let's keep going. How many are excited to get to the good part? Well, we, I always say good part, but you know what I mean, like the climactic part. This is all good. Amen? Even the next part right here, which is more judgment. It says in verse 8, lead out those who have eyes but are blind. Oh, did I read verse 6? Where did I stop? Verse 4? Let's go back to verse 4. Sorry. Since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. Now verse 5, do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up to the south. Do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the, east, from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Why has he got to bring them back? 
because they've been in slavery in every single part of the world. Not only was that filled in part when they got to come back and build the temple after the Babylonian captivity, that's why there was a temple when Jesus came around because it was destroyed after this, by the way. And God kept his promise that they would come back. But the great ingathering is soon to come. How many of you are being drawn to the Lord right now? Are you from the east? Are you from the west? Are you from the north or from the south? You're being drawn in from all these places. And the great promise that God is saying is that he hasn't forgot about us. Now let's go more to judgment here. Verse 8. Lead out those who have eyes but are blind, who have ears but are deaf. All the nations gather together and the people assemble. Which of their gods foretold this and proclaimed to us the former things? Let them bring in their witnesses to prove they were right so that others may hear and say, it is true. Basically, he says, who else can tell the future like I have? Do you know that prophecy is an evidence for God and this word right here? There is no book that contains fulfilled prophecies like this book right here. I had two Mormon missionaries at my house the other day. That was my vacation fun. I think they came Christmas Eve, and I was like, oh, Christmas came early. Come on down. I came in my PJs, and I sat them down in my office for about two hours. It was so much fun. And uh, it was just one thing after another that I was showing them the truth of Christianity and the errors of Mormonism. And one of the great things that I showed them was the false prophecies of Joseph Smith. That guy was making false prophecy rain, man. He was just throwing them out everywhere. It's not hard to find them. And I was saying, look at this one, look at this one. And they were like, well, I don't know about that, and I haven't studied that. And I go, that's fair. I understand they don't tell you any of this. Of course they don't. But uh, let me just ask you this. Let me ask you this. If he was saying false prophecies, like one of them is he predicted that the Civil War would bring war to all of the nations, and then the end would come. So the world would go into a, a humongous war during the Civil War, and then Jesus' kingdom would come. Um, so I said, if, if, if that is the way we're reading it right here, and it's actually in one of their books, and I said, and that's true, and we know it didn't happen, what does that make him? And they're like, a false prophet, a liar, right? So I'm like, you should go back and study that. You shouldn't just go back to the bishop at your Mormon church and just say, hand me a little tap, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, handout or a little, you know, website for me to just to ease my conscience. You should actually study this to, to see, is this really a false prophet? Because it couldn't get any more clear. Now, what I love about the Bible is that God says, test me and see. Can anybody else do what I've done? Now, just to give you some of the goodies here, go to Isaiah chapter 9, because this is what I would have shown you guys during Christmas time. In the same book, look at one of the prophecies that came over 600 years before Jesus was ever born. Isaiah chapter 9, look at verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Who is that? Come on, go to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah's got more prophet, uh, more uh, true prophecies than more, uh, all the Mormon prophets put together. And Isaiah's just one of many of our prophets. Go to Isaiah chapter 53. Let's go to verse of Isaiah 53, he was despised and rejected by mankind. Hello, let me just say this to you real quick. If you have any Jewish friends, ask them one day to, uh, or just do it like this. I think this would be better. One day, ask them to listen to you read Isaiah 53. Don't tell them where it's from and don't tell them who it's about. Just say, man, can I read this to you real quick? You tell me who you think this is. 
He was despised and rejected by mankind, verse 3, a man of suffering, familiar with pain, like one whom people hid their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Ask them who they think that's being talked about there. What I have heard from those who have done it, because I haven't got a chance to do it yet. I don't have a lot of Jewish friends. I pray that I get to meet more. But I've heard from Jewish missionaries who witness the Jewish people. They will say, dude, that's Jesus. So you're thinking then, you can say back to them, so you're thinking, I'm reading this out of the New Testament. I'm reading this from one of your prophets of the Old Testament. This is so clearly Jesus. Who else could Isaiah be talking about that he as a person, a singular person, would take the entire sins of a nation? Who is that person? I want to know. I mean, and is God a liar? Because now if it's not been done, then God lied. This is amazing about how accurate it is. And if you go back to Isaiah 53, God's kind of like showing off a little bit, and he can do it because he is God. He says, which one of their false gods have done this? Okay. When did Muhammad ever do this? When did Joseph Smith ever do this? Am I angry at those people? No, I love them. They, they are all welcome at my house to learn, to study, to hang out. I might lock the door and hide the key, you know, but they're all welcome but the Bible says, which one of their gods have done this? Have the, have the Hindu gods did this? Have the Islamic prophets done this? Has Mormonism done this? No. Buddha, did he do this? No. God says, I did this. Let them bring in their witnesses to prove they were right so that others may hear and say, it is true. What is amazing about this is that every time a generation rises up, they try to say the prophecies of this Bible were written after the fact of when it happened because they're that clear. So just think about it. The prophecies are so clear about the thing they're talking about that the only way around it is for people to say, it must have already happened, and then people go in there and change it. Take for Isaiah. Something must have happened around Jesus' time that the disciples thought that they have to make a prophecy about this. So they basically shoot the arrow first, then draw the bullseye and go, look, hit the bullseye. Yeah, but you just drew the bullseye, right? So this was the idea. Every generation, though, we find more and more proof debunking it. Just in the 1940s and the 50s, 1940s and 50s, we found the Dead Sea Scrolls. In the Dead Sea Scrolls were the book of Isaiah, or the books of Isaiah, the prophecies of Isaiah. In the prophecies of Isaiah, they are identical to the ones we had at that time. And they dated six, seven hundred years before Christianity. Isn't that something? Or before the earliest ones we had. Think about that. The Bible has not been corrupted. People have tried but it is true, 
And it is held true. So when I show them the prophecy of Isaiah or I show a Jewish person that or I show somebody in my neighborhood this, it's not that the Christians just try to make this thing happen. Let's just play the disciples for a second. How are you going to make a person's torture and their piercing and their wounds be your claim for the salvation of the nations? Why would you look back to Isaiah and say, that's our king, that's our Messiah? Why not point back to other prophecies that show him, you know, being a king, doing a bunch of awesome things? Why would they look back on a crucified person or a person getting beat up pretty bad and go, that's the story of our Lord and Savior? Because to make up a lie, it has to benefit you in some way, get you out of punishment, get you more accolades. What in the world would the disciples benefit by promoting a lie to Jews that say their Messiah is dead, which the, which the Messiah was never supposed to die in the Jews' mind, so they just lost the Jews on that by saying our Messiah was tortured and killed. So they pick out the most obscure beating one and go, that's our guy. So they lose them, and then they go to the Romans, the strongest military power of that time, and then they go, this is our guy as well, who they have no respect for. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 real quick. You'll understand why it's foolishness, both to the Jew and to the Gentile. Why would the disciples make up such a thing? Somebody say prophecy. Trust me, we'll get to the part about you getting a new car this year, and you getting a new hairdo, and a whole bunch of other silly things you want this year and want me to shout about, um, but let's just study the Bible a little bit more. <laughs> Is it okay if I tease you a little bit? I promise to change next year. No, I'm kidding. Look at 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Look at how Paul breaks down exactly what I was saying to you. Look at how he breaks it down right here. Verse 20, where is the wise person? Chapter 1, verse 20, where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? And you could put all this in here. Where's the scientist? Where's the talk show host? Where's the politician? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know God, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Look at verse 22. The Jews demand signs. So prove it to us he was the Messiah. Don't point to passages where he's getting killed. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for what? Wisdom, just like the Romans, the pagans there looked for wisdom. Show us something better than just a dude dying. But we preach Christ crucified. That's what we preach. And it's a stumbling block to them, but it's found in the prophecies. We preach Christ crucified, stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles, but to those whom God has called both Jew and Gentile, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Christ is the power of God. Christ is the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. So did Jesus get crucified? Absolutely. Do we deny it? No. We praise God for it because we know he raised again on the third day. Amen? Now go to verse 10. It's one of the most powerful passages in the Bible to show you the centrality of our God. This does away with all forms of polytheism. This does away with Mormonism, Hinduism, and Jehovah Witnesses. If you didn't know that, they are all polytheists. Hinduism, obviously, many different gods. You've seen the pictures of them. Ganesh, he's got the monkey head in the, hand, in the body of a man. You've seen the other monkey face god. There's an, excuse me, an elephant is uh, Ganesh, and then there's the monkey face god. All of those gods you've seen in Hinduism. We 
know those are false, right? And then you have the false gods of Mormonism. Mormonism believes that people become gods. And then what a lot of people don't know is that Jehovah Witnesses believe in polytheism because they believe God the Father created a mini-god, a separate mini-god named Jesus to have all this power and authority, but he's still a separate god. Now, the reason why I bring up Jehovah Witnesses is this is actually the scripture that they use. If you look to that part in verse 12, you are my witnesses, declared Jehovah or Yahweh, that I am God. What's funny about that, in the passage they used to get their names, it actually says there's no God created after our God. So Jesus cannot be a created God. Do you see the contradiction? Now, what I love about the Bible is that every single falsehood we see today can be proven in the passages here. If you have the standard, you'll be able to stand against the lie. Amen? Come on, somebody say amen. Why do I always talk to you guys about other worldviews? Because Christians are falling for other worldviews all the time. And Isaiah is teaching us, don't fall for those other worldviews. You are my witnesses, verse 10 declares the Lord, and my servant whom I've chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed. So there was no God before our God. Sometimes people say that Jehovah or Yahweh is just the God of the Israelites, but he's a part of a pantheon of gods. That is not true. He says right here, there were no gods before me. So there's no way to reconcile with any other God besides him. That sentence right there makes it clear. Now watch what he says. Before me, no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. So if he's always been God from before time, and he says, I'll never stop being God, there's never one coming after me, can there ever be another God? Can there be a lowercase g God called Jesus? No, the Son of God is equal to God because God is three persons sharing one nature. God is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's why we baptize in the name, not names, plural, in the singular name of who? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is Yahweh just as much as the Father is Yahweh and the Holy Spirit is Yahweh. So he says, there's not one coming after me. Verse 11, I, even I, am the Lord. And apart from me, there is no Savior. Now you've just done away with every other worldview that has to do with uh, all of these different paths leading to the same place. Isn't that what they say? You know, we love Jesus, but we're following the Baha'i faith because we believe that still leads to, to God. We love Jesus, but we're following Muhammad because we believe this path also leads to God. We love Jesus, but we love Buddha as well because we believe this path leads to God. It is very clear beside this God, the one and only God in whom there was no God before nor after, this God says, I alone am the Savior. Now, if that were true, would you follow it? And it is true, so you're following it now then, right? But you have to ask people that. If it were true, would you give up Islam? If it were true, would you give up the Baha'i faith? If it were true, would you give up Jehovah Witnesses? Whatever you're doing, if it was true, would you do it? How many believe it is true and you're living for Jesus today? Amen. And then he says this, I have revealed and saved and proclaimed I and not some foreign God among you. Because they were worshiping foreign gods and that was part of their punishment. It says right here, I, uh, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, that I am God. Yes, and from ancient days I am he. No one can deliver out of my hand when I act. Who can reverse it? Would you like to take a trip to Micah real quick? Has anybody named one of their children Micah in here? <laughs> Come on, the Sienskis did. That's a good name. 
Go to Micah. It's a minor prophet. It's going to take me a minute with these paper things right here because my, uh, my fingers are big. It's a very small book right towards the end. Go to Micah chapter 5. I want to show you who this one from everlasting is. The one from everlasting that has been there the whole time but yet is our Savior is going to look very familiar to us in just a second. Micah chapter 5 verse 2. Tell me if this sounds familiar. But you, Bethlehem, Epiphath, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me, one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Can I get a high five for that, Brian? I know you like those nuggies right there. I know he likes those nuggies. Do you see what I just showed you in Micah? Now go to Matthew. Go to Matthew chapter 2, verse 6. Do you think the disciples were just drawing the bullseye, or do you think they were following the arrow of the Lord? Come on, look at uh, Matthew chapter 2, verse 6. In the recollection of Jesus' birth, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Isn't that awesome? Right there, we're learning that the God of ancient times is going to come in the flesh and rule over us. Go back to Isaiah 43. It's not Bible gymnastics. It's not something I'm trying to do to make a point that it can't be easily drawn up if you took the time to read. I'm just showing you the Bible is giving us clear indications of who we are and who God is. We are God's people. He loves us and he has a plan for us. And this is who he is. There's nobody like him. Look at Isaiah 43, 13. Yes, and from ancient days I am he. From ancient days, he is the ancient one, is he not? And Micah said about the one being born in Bethlehem, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. So was Jesus created the day he came in the manger? No, he had existed in ancient times. He just took on flesh and came into the, the manger. Let's look at verse 14. Isaiah 43, 14. This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, for your sake I will send to Babylon and bring down as fugitives all the Babylonians. So Babylon was just starting to become a world power wrestling with Assyria at this time. Assyria was Israel's major problem, but they see Babylon raising up. This is 150 years before even the captivity and God saying, hey, I'll be with you through it, talking about the fire, the waters again, and at the end of it, I'm going to punish them, so be cool. That's, that's some faith right there. Hey, guys, 150 years from now, China's going to take you over. All your children are going to become slaves. Some of your neighbors are going to eat their children because they're going to get so hungry. But I'm with you. And by the way, I'm going to punish them. Do you have that kind of faith in your God? See, do, do we even get this Bible, man? So often we read it and we're like, oh, you're going to send away the Babylonians. They're just going to kick their butt. Like as if like they're just going to be like a five-minute battle. He's talking about probably 150 years of suffering from the Assyrian time and the Babylonian time. And he's saying, but at the end of all that, I got your back. Yeah, but what about those going through it, Jesus? Oh, go back to the verses in the, in, in the first part of 43. Though you walk through the, the rivers, you will not be swept away. Though you go through the, the waters, you won't drown. Though you go through the fire, you won't be burned. Come on, somebody. Say amen if you believe in a good God. Amen. So he's going to punish them. He's going to take them, and he's going to bring them down. Verse 15, I am the Lord, your holy one, Israel's creator, your king. 
This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea. See, he reiterates it now because you're freaking out again, right? You're going, oh, my goodness. You're going to bring us through some problems or you're going to allow us to go through problems. You're going to take care of us. Remind us again. Okay, here he goes. This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and lay there never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. So the same one, get this, this is where judgment comes in. This is why Jesus talked about it all the time. He's saying, guys, guess what? The same one who judged the Egyptian pharaoh and the armies and washed them all away, and I love the NIV here, snuffed them out like a wick, that's what he's going to do again. God is going to snuff out nations like you would snuff out a wick through the breath of his nostrils. There goes China. Done. Hand it over to the kingdom of God. Russia. Done. Hand it over to the kingdom of God. This is the hope they're supposed to have. I don't believe we get it because we now are going to freak out, and I just say this prophetically not to make you feel bad, but somebody's going to put something stupid up on Facebook by January 1st, and I'm going to wonder, did you even hear the message? You're going to freak out over something. I know somebody here will freak out over something. You will put it up on Facebook, and you will forget the entire thing he just went through right here. The entire purpose of him telling the people of Israel, you're going to go through judgment, you're going to face these times, is to let them know, I am with you. And then now, here comes your meme. You guys ready for the meme? You ready for your Bible verse and scratch, you know, sketched in on your Bible? You ready for your magnet right here? Are you ready for it? Do you understand the context? Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. The wild animals honor the wild animals honor me. Is that what it says? Yes, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. So you guys ready to make a deal today? You guys going to make a deal with God? You going to make a covenant with the church here? How about this? No matter what you go through, you're going to praise his name. No matter what you face this year, you're going to go to a church called Metro Praise so you have opportunities to praise his name. You're going to go to life groups, and you're going to show up even though everything may be blowing up. You're going to show up and let your hands go up, and you're going to praise God, and you're going to say, God is with me. So before you have that slow violin, that pity patty party, the first thing out of your mouth would be, I know God is with me, but I'm just asking for prayer. I know God is good, but I'm asking for help in this hard situation. I know I feel alone, but I'm never alone. Please pray for me. That's the confession of God's people in 2019. That way, when we face our troubles, we're never facing them like, oh, me, oh, my, what's going on? The sky is falling. No, we're facing them as God's chosen people made to go through this. You were made to go through this, baby. God created you with a purpose. He has given you all that you need. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. When you show up to those situations, God has already been there and prepared a way for you. All you got 
got to do is stick with him, and he will walk you through every one of those situations. And I'll be right there with you. Amen? I'm going to be right there with you because no one is exempt from scary times. No one is exempt from sad times. No one is exempt from physical things going on in your body or calamity in this nation. No one, including me. But I'm making a determination today. God, I will walk with you. And when I'm walking with you, God, I'm not going to look back. I'm not going to look back on those former things. I will not look back on those things and let them mess with me. I will keep praising you and keeping my eyes focused on you. Can you come up here, Vinny? I want to give you some encouragement today. We don't have time to read the rest. I had a feeling I would be stopping at this portion because if I read through it, it goes back into rebuke. It goes back into correction. Let me just read verse 22 because maybe I'd want to read it just to mess with you guys. And Lord, help me not to mess with them because I kind of want to do it out of my flesh, but I want to hear the Spirit. After that awesome thing came, look what God said to them. Yet you have not called on me, Jacob. You have not wearied yourself out for me. You have brought me, not brought me sheep or burnt offerings nor honor me with sacrifices. I have not burdened you with grain offerings nor wearied you with demands of incense. Yet have not, you have not brought any fragrant columnists for me. That's just like a, a stick that smells well, like, kind of like how we have those incense sticks. Or lavished on me the fat of your sacrifices. But look at this. But you have burdened me with your sins and wearied me out with your offenses. Well, I might as well keep reading now. But he says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. Always got time to read the word. Amen. Let's just read it. And remembers your sin no more. So look at that. Look at that chunk right there. Verses 22 through 24 says a lot of you don't get it. A lot of us don't get it. I'm in there too. God says, I'm going to do a new thing. God says, forget about the former thing. And then he looks right at some of us and he goes, ah, but you don't want that. What you want to do is keep burdening me with your sins. But you don't want to change. But here's the good news. I'm the one that blots out sins so that you will sin no more. That your body will be delivered from the habits you've been living in. That your mind will be set free from the broken record of the past. Look at verse 26. Review the past for me. Let us argue the matter together. God said you can even argue with him about it if you want. State the case for your innocence. You think you're innocent with God? Argue. Tell him. He says, I can handle that. Your first father sinned, talking about Adam. Those I sent to teach you rebelled against me, so even the pastors and leaders, prophets sinned. So I disgraced the dignitaries of your temple. I consigned Jacob to destruction and Israel to scorn. See, y'all want me to go back to ending with verse 21, right? Because that's a harsh ending right there. And may God be glorified in the reading of that. Uh, I, I think that's for somebody here today, and we need to remember that. But I think what God put on my heart was that chunk we just went through at the beginning in verse 18, where it says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? Jesus talked about new wine going to new wineskins. If you put new wine in old wineskin, and wineskins were made out of the hides of animals, if you put the new wine 
in the old wineskin as the fermenting process took place. That's how we know they drank wine in the Bible with alcohol because it talks about it all the time. So the fermenting process would actually break apart the old wineskin because it's a gas that's being released while it's happening, that ferment, fermentation. So you put in a fresh new wine, you put the uh, new wine in a fresh new wineskin so that as it grows and the gases begin to do their work, that the wineskin expands with it. That's Jesus referring directly to Isaiah. Jesus referred to the prophets all the time without having to say, I'm talking about this or I'm talking about that. He would, he would allude to it, in other words. He would make references. And so when we put that together with Jesus' statement in the New Testament and the Old Testament with Isaiah, we have to ask ourselves this question. Do I have faith to perceive and receive the new thing that God has for me? Do I have the faith right now to perceive it and receive it as if it was mine? And I'll just give you a couple quick examples in my life. And if I were you, I'd write them down, put them in a journal. I'll give you a second if you want to get out your pens, your paper, uh, your phone. What are five things right now that God has already spoken to you about? That he's saying, do you believe me? I can do it this year. Do you believe me? If you haven't had a prayer time like that with God yet, you've got two days before the year ends. You've got today and tomorrow. Get it done. Make time alone with God and say, God, what is the new thing? What does it look like? What are we going to do together, God? Okay, here's my first one. I'm going to spend my time with people that benefit and support the things that God has given me to do. I know that sounds obvious, doesn't it? It sounds like obvious. Be around people who, who support you. But I spend my time with so many people that don't. I have wasted hours and hours and hours trying to talk people into things they don't want. I'm not saying I won't give advice or be there for people. I'm just saying this year, a new thing for me, check this out, Laura, because I think you're going to like this. A new thing for me is to let God show me who I'm supposed to get close to instead of being so desperate that I'll take everybody in. That's awesome, but it's not my season right now. There's enough people in this church to take on all the, you know, the responsibilities of mentoring people, but I need to this year look for those who I'm going to bring in. That's one of mine. That's not, this may not be yours. I'm just giving you examples of mine. Second thing, this year, my wife and I will be completing our studies, 2019, and 20 will be our year of graduation. Her for her master's and me for my doctorate. So this year, I want to be focused. If you saw my Facebook, 100, 100, 100. My last doctoral class, straight 100%. I want to be focused this year without being stressed. I want my wife to be focused on achieving goals without stress. Stress-free focus. New thing. It's a new thing for me, baby. I wish I could get back some of my brown hair because I've lost too many to gray already with stress. Okay, so it's a new thing. I'm going to forget about all the gray I got now, and I'm going to say, Jesus, I'm going for, uh, forward stress-free on the goals I set. I will not let goals and the good things you've called me to do to become stress in my life. Number three. Number three. Good one for everybody. This is a good one for everybody. Make sure you get yours. Number three. It's all about family everywhere I go all the time. And let me tell you what I mean by that. It's not just my family. I want to be in a family here. I want to be in a family with my friends. I want to have community be real this year. 
I want you to come to me if you're in that community that I'm in. I want you to be able to come to me and just share everything. I want to share everything. No secrets, no, no reservations. I just want family everywhere. And I want it with my kids as they're growing up older right now. I want them to feel like they can share whatever's on their heart. And I want that same, like as my children are maturing, that same relationship with them, I want it to be everywhere I go. Just, I want family. Now, of course, I can't have that with the checkout person at Target. Like, how was your day? Like, I'm not doing that, but I think you get my point. I want family. I want you, when you come over to my house, I want family, to be like family. I want what I pursue and what I do, even in like my, my re extended relationships. I want it to feel like family. And I know many of you work secular jobs that you say, this definitely doesn't feel like a family. But maybe some of you can start making it feel like a family. Whenever you talk to good business CEOs, they always say our company is like a family or it's like a community. We feed off each other. We encourage each other. I see some heads nodding. Come on. Build that in your, in your world, okay? That, that's good for everybody, I think. Number four, number four, <laughs> I want to be more healthier than I've ever been but not vain. I'll just say that. I just, I want to be I want to be that 50-year-old, because I'm going to be 50, right, one day, not next year. I've turned in 42 in January. But I want to set myself up for 50 to be that guy that I've always wanted to be. There's a guy I have in mind. He's my good friend. His name is Mark Brewer, six-pack, nice, ripped guy, but not like the steroided guy, like real big, just nice and toned, kind of like your husband right there. Come on, just toned. I just want that but not be vain. It means something to me. That's my four. Put something down for your health if it's important to you. Hopefully it is. And then number five, I really want and you know, we could be spiritual and put this at the first, but I'm just, I'm just sharing these from my heart. It's the second service, I'm going to share some other things. I think I'm going to get to about 10, 12 things I just see God doing this year. Feel free to write down as many as you want. It's your list, okay? And just watch what God will do this year. And I feel like the last thing has to do, for me personally, has to do with seeing God and his vision for my life and all that I do. And I know for, for many, it's like I have to even explain this because you're like, you're a pastor. How is that hard for you? I mean, what do you do that you don't see Jesus in? I'm like you where my vision can get off balance. Before you know it, I'm studying the Bible to write a sermon. What fun is that? Before you know it, I'm coming to do counseling for you because that's what I do. And the social worker does counseling and whatever. I just don't want to burn out. I want to burn up. So I want this year, whether I'm writing a book, I want it to feel fresh. I don't want it to be like my 21st book, and this is just what I do. I write books because I've already wrote 20. No, I want the 21st book to be amazing. And I want God's vision for everything. I've been married 13 years, but I haven't, quote, unquote, been married to the same woman. Of course, her name is Nancy. DNA is the same, but track with me here. She's grown and developed into a different woman. I have fallen in love with the new version of her that gets released every year, like the iOS for your phone. I'm seeing her get renewed and released and blessed, and I want to be able to do that. I don't want same old, same old. I want to experience new things. One of the things God told me as a parent is, because I have six kids, those of you who don't know that, is that never get bored doing something you've already done four times for the fifth. Don't get bored doing it for the fifth or the sixth. You know how many times I've taught to ride bikes? Four times. God 
chastised me and said, do not let Zoe feel like she's left over because she's a burden to you now because all the three others are riding their bikes and now she's like having to get kicked along. Come on, get it better. No, give her the same experience you gave Bethany when you were watching her learn how to ride her bike and that was your first child. And God, God is telling me this. Get that excitement in everything. Don't let a Sunday just be a Sunday. Just come here every week believing that something amazing is, is going to happen, something you've never seen before. Those are my five. Just coming off the top with some of the things that have been in my heart. Like I said, I'm going to share different ones in, in second service. Take 30 seconds right now. Write down yours, please. Some of you were writing while I was talking. Ben, would you come up? Oh, Jesus. As the band is coming, I'm just going to start praying. Father, help us to dream this year. Help us to forget about those former things that have held us back and to see, God, what you're doing in our midst. Oh, God, I want to be around people that I appreciate this year. Appreciate me, Lord. And I want I want to experience family everywhere I go, God. I just want community. I long for it. Lord, I want to be healthy and not vain, oh God. God, I don't want to burn out. I want to burn up. You can be as specific as you want right now. I want to set goals this year, God. Goals with you. Altar workers, would you come, please? As we're going to close out today, as altar workers are coming, if some of you would just like to move from your seat, because we'll close out in worshiping, uh, with worship, and I'll give a final prayer. But even as we're starting right now to do that, if you want to just come to one of them and start to pray through some of your goals, you can do that. If you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, you heard some great prophecies about him today. Trust me, he is who he said he was and is, and he did all that the Bible said he did. You can come up and start receiving prayer right now. Trust me, you're not bothering anybody. You're not interfering. Come on up, even right now, because I'm going to give you guys just a few more moments to write them down, then we'll close out singing a song. Lord, we thank you. New seasons. New seasons. Just because a calendar changes doesn't mean we change. But, Lord, when you say it changes, then that's when it changes. So our new day starts now. Our new year starts now. New things. New ways of living. Goal-orientated, without the stress. Stress-free, high achiever. <laughs> How does that sound? Hallelujah. Woo! Somebody Facebook, so I don't forget that one. Facebook that and tag me in that. Stre I want to be a stress-free, high achiever this year. In the name of Jesus. When you pray for me as your pastor, please remember to pray for that. I want to be a stress-free, high achiever. Is that what you want? Come on up. We'll pray for those right now who want to be stress-free high achievers. Quickly, any stress-free high achievers right now, come on up. We'll pray for you. I just felt the Lord say, let me, let me isolate that one. Come on. Stress-free high achiever. Stress-free high achiever. Come on. Yes, our administrator. Stress-free high achiever. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Man, would you close us out in singing? I'll say a final prayer in a moment, but let's stand. Let's worship stress-free high achievers this year. I hear that word in my heart. Whatever else you're praying for, I agree that God can do it. Jesus.
if any of you here today feel like you're going through fire, y'all help here keep praying. But if anybody can hear me and you feel like you're going through fire, you feel like you're going through rivers, meet me up at this altar, even if no one can personally pray for you. We'll pray for you right now as a group. I want to pray for a group of people who feel right now you're in the fire, you're in the waters. God says he's with you. Come up quickly, quickly, right now. Lord, you're never going to let down those who believe. Those who believe. Come on, raise up your hands. Come on, Desi, surrender. It's not about you, it's about God this year. Come on, who else? Raise up your hands today, Wamplers. And right now I pray that as you go through the rivers, you will not be taken. As you go through the waters, you will not be drowned. As you go through the fires, you will not be burned. Come on, shout out, I believe. God is with me. He will lead me. One more time, you're never going to let me down. Come on, sing it out, those of you going through it today. You're going to make it. God is with you. He can't fail. He can't fail. He won't let you down. Hallelujah. He's more than able today. More than able. You're never.